0: Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. This is Tavis Killian bringing you another episode of Monday Madness on July 5th, 2022. This episode is being researched, written, and released on a Tuesday, as yesterday was actually the 4th of July. I was lucky enough to get to spend it with my mom. Happy birthday to her. So we walked around Estes Park, neat little town. I've only ever driven through on my way to Rocky Mountain National Park, but it was a lovely place to spend an afternoon. I recommend that you take the cable car up and hike around above the town. Great views and cool temperatures in the summer. But I know you didn't come here to listen to me speak as if I was some world-renowned travel agent. You came to talk about the biggest statistics and stories within the world of oil and gas, so let's dive deep into those commodity prices. As I write this script, WTI is tanking. Last week bounced between $110 and $115, which is about what we have come to expect. This morning, however, WTI opened at about 110 and is quickly falling in price. At roughly 9.30 Mountain Time, oil fell to $100 and may even be below by the time you listen to this podcast. This is the lowest price we've seen since about May. This isn't just WTI. Even Brent is down almost $10 to $104. American Natural Gas is quickly losing its value as it sinks to $550, the lowest we've seen since April. It certainly could be a result of balancing out between commodities as oil and gas in Norway and other parts of Europe becomes more and more expensive. We, being the United States, just can't get a ton of our gas to market, especially with that Freeport incident. I also think these commodities are trying to cool off after running up at an absolutely ridiculous pace. We may see some calm, but I doubt it will last for too long, and I'm very confident that things are going to get pretty dicey by the winter. It may seem far out, but in three months we will be seeing some very different weather patterns, and another three will really flip it around. Rare Petro believes energy will get more expensive, and if you're a longtime listener, you know why. If you're a bit newer to the podcast, go ahead and frack that follow button, and you too will understand in a matter of just a few months. Next up is the rig count. After weeks and weeks of great gains, we see a three-rig decrease. Nothing terrible, as this is one of the largest decreases in the past year or so, but it is a negative rig count nonetheless. This brings us to a cool 750 rigs in the US, which is 275 more rigs than we had this time last year, which really highlights the insane growth that we have seen. Dropping three rigs isn't really too bad. Basin by basin, data is a bit unique. The largest growth we saw was one rig in the Ardmer Woodford and Arcoma Woodford each. Otherwise, the Utica and Marcellus each lost one, the Eagleford lost four, and the Canna Woodford lost five. That is an especially dramatic change for the can of Woodford, which only had 32 rigs to begin with. Otherwise, it's just kind of sad to see one of our favorite underdogs lose four rigs. We're rooting for you, Eagleford. State by state, data's pretty bland as Louisiana and New Mexico gained one. Those were the highest. Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Utah each lost one, and Texas lost two. Not often you see Texas at the bottom of the list. It seems as if there's a slight redistribution of rigs drilling horizontal and vertical wells as the focus shifts more towards directional. The good news is that the Gulf of Mexico was able to add one rig to its total, so not a bad report. Not bad at all. Again, let's keep an eye on the long term. We've seen some insane growth in the rig count, specifically since the start of the pandemic. Well, not the start after we got through that huge initial dip, but we're still below the pre-pandemic count of about 800. Not too much further to go. Lastly, we take a quick look at the inventory report. Thirsty Thursday was a hit last week, and here's the data in case you didn't catch it. The EIA is back for their regularly scheduled data, and they come bearing good news. After predicting a small drawdown of about a half million barrels, it was revealed that the drawdown was much closer to three million barrels. Normally, the EIA and API struggle to agree with their data. This time around, the API predicted almost no change and reported a drawdown of almost 4 million barrels, so pretty close between the two. Inventories have been trading sideways for about six months now. Sure, we've got a build here and a draw there, but it keeps it pretty balanced. While that may be reassuring, uh, it doesn't mean that we'll soon be building the inventories. If anything, this current level of production could run out, and then we see the same decline in production we saw through 2021. Best case scenario, we look at inventories that are comparable to the lows we saw in 2020. All speculation. Regardless, in better news, we finally see a build in gasoline inventories of some significance. I'm not talking just a 200,000 barrel build. This 2.6 million barrel build is much needed as the U.S. average gas price hit about $5 two weeks back. We have been on the come down. Just a little bit, but this proposed gas tax holiday that was introduced by the Biden administration could change that. Historically, those in the middle of the supply chain find a way to pocket the difference when the government lifts a tax for a short period of time. This results in the price being relatively unchanged. Once that grace period is over, the prices then skyrocket as the tax returns, and hopefully it's different this time around, but many are already expressing their doubts. One of the most popular theories postulates an artificial increase in demand. Suspending the gas tax in the summer could quite possibly inspire many folks to take a vacation after two years of restrictions and lockdowns. This would have the effect of draining local inventories even faster, resulting in potentially increased gas prices. Whichever way you look at it, the root issue of diminishability to produce and then refine is not being addressed. The dip in commodities could just be a temporary reprieve. Distilled inventories continue to build, but not quickly enough to bring them out of the historically low territory. Even though it is increasing, this is what one would expect to see for this time period, so it's not particularly impressive. Propane inventories have now tiptoed into historically low territory. This could be especially bad for the winter season should this continue, as many folks in rural areas rely on gas to heat and power parts of their lives, but have to use propane if the correct infrastructure is not in place. This could, in fact, be the calm before the storm. But that wraps up our weekly analysis of statistics. Next, we got a couple of stories to look at. You should know that there's some upcoming Nord Stream maintenance. If you don't know, the Nord Stream pipeline is a recent network of pipelines. I say recent as in the past decade or so. Constructed to deliver gas from Russia to Europe. You may have heard of the Nord Stream 2. That's an expansion. Sure, a little bit more contention than Nord Stream 1. But still, there are pipelines in place that allow Russia to deliver large quantities of hydrocarbons to the rest of Europe. Kind of like that primary pipeline, the Nord Stream Though the full extent of power, geopolitical leverage specifically, has really not been exercised. Rare Petro, other countries have talked about their concerns, but those concerns could be faced this month. The pipeline is set to be shut for maintenance between July 11th and 21st. Sure, the flows have already dropped a good 40%. this could still have some bad implications. Some banks forecasted that the pipeline should and could be back and operational well within that given time frame. The Russians, after all, are capable of getting it done on time, but more and more folks are predicting a more nefarious and longer than anticipated downtime. After all, what's to stop Russia from saying that there's more work to be done and they're going to take longer to complete the project and maintenance than expected? It would make their gas more valuable, and the rest of Europe has shown that it does not want to escalate the situation so far. While all speculation at the moment, this is going to be a very important time period to keep your eye on. It has severe implications for world markets, and I'm sure we'll speculate even further on this in our next episode of the Wacky World of Energy. That's going to be between Anthony and I. It's going to be a little more fun, a little more rowdy, so keep an eye out for that. We'll also be looking at the Norwegian oil strike that could stop energy flows in Europe. Good stuff to come, and you can even watch it on YouTube. Next is another story in the long line of countries who are starting to secure their energy resources. And something straight out of Atlas Shrugged, countries are nationalizing or redefining how they will allow the rest of the world to consume their energy or natural resources. In 2017, Australia's government introduced a domestic gas security mechanism that allows Australia to redirect gas supplies. Due to their location and great natural resources, they ship a ton of gas to Asian markets and have been for the past five or so years. Still, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has highlighted the need for energy independence, something that is not lost on Australia. The legislation that supported the mechanism was set to expire next year, but the labor government won their last elections and would look to extend it through 2030. The mechanism essentially allows them to recognize when domestic inventories are falling too low and redirect production from their platforms Back to their country. Sure, Asia and surrounding areas may not have their contractual obligations and deliveries properly executed, but Australia understands that they need to have enough for yourself to eat before you can start selling the rest, surplus other resources to the rest of the world. This comes at a time when Australia is struggling with their own electricity crisis, energy crisis specifically, much like the rest of the world, but it is their second in the last five years. When they did begin producing and exporting LNG to foreign markets in 2017, the demand for their gas was too much and left themselves with their pants down. Either way, Australia is developing energy infrastructure, interacting with markets, and navigating a new landscape successfully. You can't always do it without snafus, but they continue to analyze how their policies affect the world and themselves while creating unique policies in response. A wonderful system that greatly contrasts the current American system of dictating how and when energy companies are allowed to operate while ignoring issues revolving around domestic supply. Good luck to Australia, and I wish them well. This is a situation that the U.S. does not necessarily experience as we operate in many places around the world, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Australias and Mexicos of the world started telling us to kick rocks and we started to encounter some of these issues on our own. But ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time I've got for you today. Lots of change in the global landscape and potential for insane escalation on Russia's end. Keep your eyes open and your head on a swivel. There's lots of good information out there, but it can be difficult to know where to look. Let us do the hard work for you. We love independent thinking and dating through all types of energy media. Go ahead and follow us on wherever you get your podcasts and LinkedIn so you aren't missing out on the content that we are releasing almost daily. Thanks for tuning in, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.